0: This episode was brought to you by our Patreon supporters, Amy Swan, Blake Pops, Greg Bench, Joel Robertson, Jonathan Edge, and Trey Whetstone. Thank you all. Now on to the episode.
1: Welcome to another episode of Father and Son Watch Horror Movies. I am your co-host, the Father, a.k.a. Pastor Matt, and I am joined, as always,
0: by my trusty sidekick, Jackson the Sun, and uh, hopefully, we can record this podcast better than Grandpa can swing a hammer. Because if not, well, well you're in for a wild ride. Hey, Grandpa was the best. Uh, we are a spoiler podcast. We spoil
1: the movies we discuss, and we are continuing our march through this year's Thanksgiving season by talking about dysfunctional horror families by turning to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 from 1986. <laughs> 13 years ago, audiences across America were horrified by the brutality of a faceless killer. Now, after more than a decade of silence,
2: he has come out of hiding. Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two, directed by Toby Hooper. Starts Friday, August 22nd at theaters everywhere.
1: Well... To tackle this bad boy, we called in the best help we could uh, find this side of resurrecting Dennis Hopper singing hymns with a chainsaw. We called in Jay Wall. How are you, Jay? Doing good, man. Good deal. So Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, um, the IMDB synopsis, Jackson, I always get to kick out of this, reads, a radio host is victimized by the cannibal family as a former Texas marshal hunts them. Okay, that's, (laughs) maybe they watched the movie. Um, Anyway, so, hey Jay, do you remember when the first time you saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 was?
2: Oh yes, I remember it very vividly. I uh, was uh, kind of a poor kid living in the uh, southern Midwest, and we had a channel called The Movie Channel. I think they still have it, but Mm -hmm. that was our equivalent of HBO. That's all you could get at the time. Uh, The thing about that, the good thing about that was that they didn't get movies like Top Gun and stuff like that. They got The Blob (laughs) and things like that. So I remember um, Joe Bob had a show on the movie channel and he was trying to get Texas Chainsaw 2 on real bad. And one night they showed it on his double feature and um, my dad loves movies. He got me started on movies, but he's not that big of a horror movie fan. And so I kind of had to. Planned my deception for that night. He uh, fell asleep And <laughs> his lazy boy, and I, he often fell asleep there and sleep all night. I knew he was out, so I went in there and changed the channel from the Rockford Files to Texas Chainsaw <laughs> Massacre too, and uh, got my snacks and stood kind of like behind the doorway and watched the movie. You know, just in case he did wake up, I could sneak back off to the bedroom. And uh, man, we got about twenty minutes into this movie, and the part where She is stretches giving chop top the tour. Yeah. Like this is the phone. That's this, the lamp, you know, and that part where Leatherface comes running out of that record room. And I don't know how he did that without pull starting that chainsaw, but he comes flying out of that (laughs) record with the chainsaw going full blast. I jumped, hit my head on the wall, fell down. My dad jumped out of his chair. What the heck is going on? When he looks at the TV, he's like, Oh my God, what is this? You know, and, uh, Uh I scampered off to the bedroom and caught it a couple weeks later on a replay.
1: That's fantastic.
2: Uh, it's fantastic. Jackson, what about you? When did you first see uh, TCM
1: two?
0: Well, according to letterboxd, it was in 2018. I, I can't, I can't tell you, I can't remember the first time I watched it, but I can tell you what my first impressions were of the movie for like when I first ever learned of it, I saw the poster, uh, which is quite, quite famous now. It is obviously a spoof of the Breakfast Club poster. And I thought, surely nobody from the original movie can be involved in this. This is an unofficial (laughs) sequel. It's a parody, which it kind of is. Um, I was like, nobody from the original. Then I look at the director, Toby Hooper. Then I look, oh, uh, Drayton is returning from the first movie, starring in this movie. I'm like, is this legit? And I I do remember after the first time I watched it, I was like, this is amazing. You know, the first movie can't be touched. And there was no way you could make a serious sequel that would have been anywhere near the quality of the first one. So just go way out of into left field and make this movie, and that'll be a good sequel. So uh, I I gotta say I was surprised uh, by it. I don't I don't remember exactly when I watched it, but I'm sure that my then 15 year old uh, jaw dropped to the floor. Oh yeah, I I saw this on VHS.
1: I had heard about it. I had watched the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre on VHS when I was probably 13 or 14 because there was, as I've said in past episodes, there was a video store where I could take my BMX and ride to, and there was a blonde woman who I cannot remember her name, though I had a crush on her at the time, and I think she thought it was cute. She would let me rent everything and as I said in our I think it was in our bonus episode wasn't it, Jackson it didn't have an adult sections calm down folks but it did have a horror section and I could rent anything from there if she was working and so when this hit video I rented it I watched it and at first I was kind of taken aback which we'll get into but I've kind of grown to love it so let's look at the plot and the screenplay this was written by Kit Carson the, the same guy who wrote like Indie, like, award-winning films like Paris, Texas. Um, And Hooper did not partner up with original co-screenwriter Kim Hinkle, but then again, Kim Hinkle would go on to write uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation, so maybe that was a good idea. (laughs) Um, We open with a puzzling text scroll. This is, I have a few problems with this movie. The opening text scroll... About no one being able to find the Sawyer home, um not sure why that was because it was right next to Sally and Franklin's homestead in the original movie, so could not have been that difficult to find um i that puzzled me jay am i am I out there on this, or what?
2: No, I agree. I also feel like that uh, the opening of two with the text is very like forced it seems like they're they've got a lot more to cover there than you would really like to see and they just rush through it real quick
0: yeah yeah i agree jackson what about you uh yeah my first impression was that i was a little weirded out by the opening crawl because in in the first film it was a very serious thing right it was trying to present itself as this true crime kind of account uh and with this movie, it's not that at all. <laughs> so I'm not really sure why they were going for that same style. Um, I think it's kind of silly. The way they phrase it is a lot less serious and and horrifying. It's a little bit more like, all right, this is going to be a silly movie, so strap in. Um, but yeah, I thought I thought that was a, a little strange that they that they couldn't find the homestead even though uh, they could f- hear the generator from Franklin's homestead. So obviously, it was it was pretty close. Um, so yeah. But a- another thought of mine is just like. Okay, this is a movie. This is, a, this is, so, so who cares? I'm, I'm just, I'm strapped in. The thing that I was weirded out by is the way that it's like, Sally Fields escaped. And then it talks about Sally and it just uses her first name. Like what true crime documentary would just say Sally, Sally? You know what I mean? I don't know. Maybe that's a nitpick on my part. But yeah, odd opening to what turns out to be a movie which is very different from the, from the, the uh, first film in the franchise. Right. Uh, yeah.
1: Exactly. Go, Jay. Go for it. I, uh,
2: I, I noticed, like, I don't know if, if you had this experience or not, but the first film, I remember when I was a kid, everybody running around talking about, this is a true story, this is a true story, and that mm-hmm. was part of, like, the legend behind it that scared kids into, into wanting to see it. And I think with this one, they were like, guys, we know it's been 13 years, but and we know everyone's told you it's not true, but trust us, it is true. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. But I just it was one of those things. And I know we'll get into this. They had budget problems on this. I mean, when Toby Hooper and Kit Carson signed on to do this movie, they were promised a budget of seven million dollars. What they got from Canon Films was four point five. Um, and it was funny. They they were I was watching the extras on my shot factory Blu-ray today and they interviewed the production designer, and they said, "What was the scariest part of making that film?" He said, "The budget meetings." um because Cannon just kept cutting the budget, cutting the budget, cutting the budget. Um, but I, you know, I can picture, and I don't want to go all Roger Ebert, you know, ish, and this is the movie I wish I saw, but I think that, you know, if the Sawyer family had just disappeared, if they had found the house in the scroll, and you know, but the the family had disappeared. I think that's enough. You know, they just they disappeared. I don't think you need the. We couldn't find it after you know this long manhunt. It's like, dude, how how hard is it to find? You know, and I know um, the late great Toby Hooper. Um, uh, he had some memory problems. It was funny watching the audio commentary today because. Um, Joe Bob Briggs said that when he first met Toby Hooper and, and interviewed him, he was trying to do like a 10 year anniversary thing on Texas Chainsaw Massacre for a piece in Fangoria. And he said Toby couldn't remember a thing because when Toby wasn't on a set, he wasn't smoking Monte Cristo cigars. He was smoking weed. And <laughs> so he couldn't remember anything. Um, so maybe that had something to do with it. But. Uh, so be it. But we then get the two complete butthole frat guys, you know, driving to the UT Oklahoma game who tick off the wrong family on a car phone with DJ Stretch, who records the attack. And, you know, then we're introduced to Dennis Hopper, who was who the former Texas Ranger lefty who's been looking for the Sawyer family for more than 10 years and, you know. And then we get this weird scene where uh, Stretch goes to Lefty's hotel room and he acts completely uninterested and he looks drunk, which there was they had to because of budgetary reasons. They had to cut a scene where they showed him the night before the newspaper article would come out basically calling him a clown. And so he got drunk. And so that's why that took place. But there's a lot of stuff cut that kind of could have, you know, explain things. And so then we finally get, you know, Stretch plays the tape and Chop Top shows up, as Jay, you were talking about, in Leatherface. And and then we get Stretch and and Lefty following them to the new layer where the cook and grandpa and the corpse of the hitchhiker are resting. So we'll get into all that. But the plot has been, as as Jackson, you brought up, has been heavily criticized um, for being more absurd and a dark comedy. But on the audio commentary with Toby Hooper, which I was watching today, Hooper said the original had a lot of dark comedy. People just didn't catch on to it because they were so shocked by everything else that was going on. Like, for example, Dr. Shock's favorite line in film history, look at what your brother did to the door, you know, with the cook, stuff like that. So, Jay, what do you think of the like the tone of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 compared to 1? Does it, does it bother
2: you? Or are you all for it? What do you think? Well, I love both movies, but they're very different. And I appreciate what Toby did here because I think what happened was, you know, we got past the early 80s into the mid to late 80s. And so these franchises like Texas Chainsaw and Halloween, you know, people were seeing New Line and Paramount cash a 15 or 20 million dollar check every year and they're like we need to get in on this we've got you know properties Mm. we can force and i think that's what they wanted from toby i'm sure that's what they wanted from him but he went into it with a different outlook and uh like you said he did say that there was comedy in the original that nobody just nobody got it you know and he wanted to make sure i think jackson was right on point too there where he said uh you can't really you can't make a serious sequel to the first one because it's just not going to hold up. And it's 13 years later, everything's different. And, uh, so I think Toby went into this one thinking I'm going to make the movie I want to make. I know that he didn't want to actually direct the film when he started, but like you said, they, they had serious budget concerns and he actually directed the film so they could take that money, you know, and put it back into the film.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And, um, But yeah man I I love what he did here And I think it's a very meta film It has a lot of jokes to it It's very aware of itself And it's actually beyond its time Even though it is a goofy little horror film Absolutely so I agree with you Jackson what do you think?
0: Yeah uh I, I do I, I love the tone of this movie. I think there are, there are times where it goes a little bit overboard. Um I think that Dennis Hopper, he's kinda he's kinda disconnected from the rest of the movie, kinda feels like he's doing his own thing. A lot of it is just Dennis Hopper talking to himself, quoting the Bible and cutting down uh supports in the in the shafts. <laughs> so it's kinda, I, I feel like it's at some points goes it gets a little self indulgent. But um yeah, and there there was a lot of, of comedy in the in the first movie, like Franklin rolling down the hill and the hitchhiker trying to take their pictures and stuff like it is it is kind of funny in an awkward kind of way but this one got a little bit more explicit with its humor not not explicit as it well maybe actually now that i'm thinking about it maybe it did get more explicit with its humor but um yeah, I, I do. I appreciate it. I think this is more fun and it's very indicative of its time. I feel like these two movies perfectly capture the decade that they were made in. Uh, whereas the 70s and horror movies were kind of more gritty and serious and grindhouse, this one is more like stylish and funny and crass. So um, I wouldn't have it any other way. I think that this is a perfect way to make a sequel to the masterpiece that was the original.
1: Yeah. And so. I watching the bonus features today, which, by the way, the Shout Factory Blu-ray has a ton of bonus features. But, you know, they were interviewing uh, Kit Carson, the screenwriter. And going back to what you said, Jackson, about perfectly kind of capturing that time. Um, he when he got the gig, when Toby Hooper said, hey, I want you to write this, even though Hooper had already penned a sequel with Kim Hinkle. Um, He had done this thing. He had written a script called Beyond the Valley of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where the entire Sawyer family basically controls a town. Um, And it was basically a satire of motel hell, which was a satire of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But when Kit Carson got the gig, he went to a mall and he was sitting there in the food court of a mall saying, gosh, you know, all right, so the Sawyer family, I can see why they'd want to kill hippies in 74 who would they want to kill today and he looks up and he sees two wealthy like dallas couples going into like the gap and he goes oh yeah they want to kill yuppies they want to kill those people and so i do think it it does kind of capture the 80s jay i don't know how old you are but if you you know but that does kind of it does kind of capture the 80s doesn't it
2: oh yeah i think for me Texas Chainsaw 2, and probably Jason Lives Mm -hmm. are my two quintessential 80s films because they've got the rock and roll in it, the kind of almost like an MTV vibe, you know? Yeah, I love them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And
1: so getting into some of the scenes, let's, let's talk about some of our, you know, favorite scenes from this. I mean, and some of them that you're just sitting there thinking, you know, Maybe it was the weed that Toby Hoopy were smoking. I don't know. Like the, the scene where Lefty, Dennis Hopper, is testing out chainsaws, which today that chainsaw store is now a, believe it or not, a barbecue joint. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's testing out the chainsaws. And the store owner, who was a local Austin theater actor, is just going bonkers and so i remember watching this for the first time on vhs going that was the scene where i went you know oh this is a comedy um but what did you think of that scene jay i mean
0: Man,
2: it's kind of weird it. i love it I, I think it's ridiculous it's absolutely ridiculous <laughs> but I'm, I'm with you that's like the first uh you know i i watched it several times but as an adult watching it uh, that's the first scene where you really get like, what is going on here? Uh, <laughs> I even liked a little bit before that, where he when Dennis Hopper walks in the store and he's on the phone having some fake conversation with somebody. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah, it's hilarious, though. I mean, it's uh, for me, that's probably the most uh, ridiculous part of the whole film is the Dennis Hopper set up with those chainsaws.
0: Oh, yeah. Jackson, what about you? I love it. I love it. and I love the fact that it takes place at cut right chainsaws. yeah like a like a whole store named cut right chainsaws.
1: which was at Toby Hooper said in the audio commentary was a real chainsaw store at the
0: time. Uh, how The eighties <laughs> were a wild time. Come on, cut right chainsaws. It, it, it's Texas, baby. It's Texas. I lived there I for guess three so. years. It's Texas. Yeah. And and my favorite line in that scene is when the store owner is watching Dennis Hopper attack away at this at this um, log and he goes, oh, my kid banana. And I don't even know what that means, but I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> uh.
1: Oh, absolutely. So, you know, I said they canon films kind of butchered this. It was in the original cut, which they tested. Apparently, Hooper said the audience was howling in laughter. They thought it was hysterically funny, but Golan and Globus, who were interesting people, uh, there's a documentary about Canon Films that used to be on Netflix. Go search it out. Um, they they threw a fit. They were not happy that they had financed a comedy instead of a horror film, and they recut it and all that kind of stuff. So there's an entire backstory about. Stretch being Lefty's illegitimate daughter and all this other kind of stuff. And and so they cut a lot of that stuff out. They're also inexplicably cut two scenes. One where the family goes out for a, quote, prime meat hunt, where they go to a parking garage and uh, Chop Top and Leatherface go to a UT... Party preparing for the football game that's happening in a parking garage for some reason, and they chop everyone up and they and they take them. And another scene where then they're like, nobody's going to the movies tonight. Let's go to the movies. Everybody's at these football parties. So they go to the movies and walking out of the movies is and this is an infamous cut scene. Joe Bob Briggs with two women in which. Joe Bob Briggs walks out and he's explaining they're walking out of a horror movie and he's explaining ah no it's not you gotta understand practical special effects by guys like Savini do this and that and all that kind of stuff and then Leatherface jumps out and starts hacking the two women he's with to death and Joe Bob's reaction is and I guess this is why Hooper or Cannon cut it
0: Joe Bob's reaction is wow
1: saw foo (laughs)
0: that would have been fantastic why did they i guess i guess joe joe bob didn't have the pool back then but i mean come on that would have been that would have made the film have a lot more staying power
2: i think he's got another line there too where he says right when they first jump out he's like well nail my nuts to a tree yes he
0: does (laughs) he does
2: Oh, man.
1: So, yeah, there are a lot of deleted scenes. If you're a fan of this movie, get the Shout Factory Blu-ray to see the deleted scenes. So they're not in the best quality, but they're worth seeing. So, all right. Toby Hooper, um, a man who, you know, he started off as a documentary filmmaker, you know, became went got in the horror genre, but unlike what I read today was unlike Wes Craven and George Romero, he was perfectly happy to stay in the genre. He he didn't care. He loved horror movies. He loved sci-fi movies. He was happy to be in the genre. He he wasn't going like Wes Craven and George Romero were always like, woe is me. You know, I should be out there, you know, making, you know, ordinary people or, or whatever. Um, and I know he did a lot of, bad films frankly but jay are you a fan of toby hooper's work overall
2: oh yeah i love uh eaten alive the one that came out yep i think it was 77 or 78 somewhere around there i love that one a lot that one uh has uh neville brand in it who is actually one of the most decorated soldiers of all time playing a total psychopath i love that movie Uh, I would say I love Poltergeist, too, but there's a lot of debate on how much Toby actually directed a Poltergeist and how much, you know, Spielberg took over there.
1: Yeah, Jackson and I have talked about this, didn't we, Jackson, with Amy and Alistair? We talked about this. Mm -hmm. Mick Garris was the head of promotion for that film. And Mick Garris swears, no, Toby Hooper directed Poltergeist. Um, Steven Spielberg was down the street directing E.T., Spielberg would be on set and he would give suggestions to Toby. He's like well Toby do you think we should shoot it this way and Mick Garris has said okay if you're Toby Hooper and you're coming off the funhouse and Steven Spielberg is coming off Raiders of the Lost Ark and he says hey Toby do you think we should shoot it this way what are you going to do if you're
2: Toby Hooper right? I always kind of thought about it like the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, you could put any coach you want to in the Dallas Cowboys system, but it's go- always going to be Jerry Jones standing up there, kind of casting a shadow over whoever the coach is, you know?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, Spielberg casts a shadow, but he wasn't there all the time. He made his suggestions. Um, Hooper followed it, but this is the thing about Toby Hooper rest in peace. You know, he died three years ago, way too young of a heart attack. Um, Joe Dante. I, I listened to Joe Dante's podcast, and I'm a huge fan of Joe Dante, which you know listeners know directed Piranha, The Howling, Gremlins, uh, The Burbs, Matinee, and Joe Dante got to be very good friends with Toby Hooper, and Joe Dante is one of those people who worked with Spielberg as well, and <clears throat> said that no Toby Hooper directed Poltergeist, and and, and he also says by the way joe dante's quote was somebody was on his podcast talking about texas chainsaw massacre and how much they loved it and asked joe dante did you know toby and joe said yep knew him very well he was a friend he was a great guy and he deserved better than he got that was his quote and i i completely agree um so let's talk about, guys, uh, unless, Jackson, do you want to add anything? Toby Hooper fan. I'm, I'm sorry, Jackson. I, I, are, are you a Toby Hooper fan? Because, look, I mean, uh, as much as I love this movie, as much as I love TCM, as much as I love Eatin' Alive, like U.J., Salem's Lot, Poltergeist, I love The Fun House. But he also made, like, Spontaneous Combustion, uh, which I think is a piece of crap. I mean, Jackson, what do you think of Mr. Toby Hooper?
0: Oh, I'm I'm a huge Toby Hooper fan, and I just gotta say, um, you said coming off of the Fun House as if it was an insult. The Fun House is is a lot. I mean, it's, oh, I like it. a lot it, of fun. It
1: wasn't a huge hit.
0: No, no, not at all. But but yeah, for some reason, the Fun House has always seemed to me like a better version of Rob Zombie 31. It's like that that, that same kind of uh, concept, and uh, I I think it has the same vibe as Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But um, yeah, I love Toby Hooper he definitely deserved better he wasn't he wasn't given the material that he deserved i think he could have made a truly um like technically earth-shattering film given the right circumstances but um you know he was he was just put down a lot and yeah i i've heard i've a lot of controversy we talked about this a little bit the the gateway horror episode with poltergeist you watch that scene with the skeletons in the in the pool. That's Toby Hooper right there. You you can't deny that is classic Hooper.
1: Oh, and the guy peeling off his face and right. yeah the yeah all that kind of stuff. And so yeah, I will I will fight for Toby on that film. You know till I die. I, I think he had much more of an influence on that movie than people are willing to give him credit. It's the only movie people gave him a budget on a real budget. And showed what he could do just because he took Steven Spielberg's suggestions. Every, I mean, almost every director, I almost said every director, almost every director, Stanley Kubrick didn't, but almost every director took, you know, suggestions from people because this is one of the reasons why I'm such a big film fan. And I've been on a lot of film sets in the three years I worked in Hollywood. Film is a completely collaborative exercise. You know, you can be a musician um, and go in and, and and demand your way with everything. Like Paul McCartney can get away with that. Uh, back in the 80s, Michael Jackson, you know, it was a well-known secret when I worked in the music business. Michael Jackson never wrote a single song. He just demanded that if you, your song was going to be on his album, he was listed as co-writer. Um, you know, it, it, you could get away with that kind of stuff. You can get away with that stuff if you're a you're a painter or whatever. But in film, it's a collaborative exercise. You got to work with the production designer and the director of photography and the and the special makeup effects and all that kind of stuff. So you know, so so what if you take suggestions? I, I I will stand by Poltergeist is Toby Hooper's film. They gave a genius a real budget and they never gave it to him again. And I think it was a crime. That's what Joe Dante insists He knew him well, and so I'll stand by that. But um, the kills, you know, I sometimes forget to bring this up on the podcast. I know how much our listeners love to talk about the kills. Um, Do you guys have a favorite kill in this? And, of course, the special effects were supervised by the great Tom Savini, which I've always said, if I win the lottery— Jackson, you're gonna take a year off before you go to film school and you're going to Tom Savini's makeup school. Um but Jay, do you have a favorite kill in this?
2: Uh yeah, I mean honestly I don't know if I have a favorite. I like all of them. There aren't a ton. I mean, it's like you said they cut this quite a bit. Yeah. Uh the opening kill with the chain when he pushes the oh. chainsaw through the roof and the other guy just looks over and happens to notice that his buddy's been sawed in half. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the better ones, and I I like the whole uh, thing with L G, but it's drawn out. And man, that scene even today I rewatched the film just a couple hours before we did this, and even today that scene is still hard to watch, especially when yeah. Chop Top's hitting him with the hammer over and over.
1: Oh yeah, because he's such a likable character, right? That's another thing Toby Hooper does is that, you know, you, you what he did in Poltergeist, what he does here is that you care about these people, right? right. And I, oh gosh, I'm trying to remember who said it. Um, no, it was James Wan who said it. He said, um, if you want scares, you got to care. And mm-hmm. he, they do that well here. Jackson, do you have a favorite kill scene?
0: Yeah, uh, obviously LG's kill. I, I really like that one. I like the aftermath when they're down there in the Sawyer layer, and it looks almost like Hellraiser, like Frank from Hellraiser or something. When LG's got his ribs and stuff sticking out of his chest, mm-hmm. it's, re- it's real gnarly, and his face peeled off. Um, and even the 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 grossest part is actually um, what Stretch does after, puts his own face back onto him, <laughs> and it, that's pretty pretty gnarly. Um, so that that's pretty brutal. I do love the yuppies in the beginning. The one guy who gets his head sold in half. I love the the shot from the back where his head's just squirting blood and he's kind of fidgeting around <laughs> like a chicken without a head. Uh, that that's really fun. I don't know and, who and, did and by the sex work on this. That was Tom Savini. Oh really? And I, okay.
1: And Tom Savini said that was actually the toughest one to do.
0: Yeah. Was the car? Yeah, I sp- imagine. Yeah, because yeah, so many moving parts with that. You've got a moving body model, you've got blood squirting out of it, and you've got a car driving and a camera on the car. So yeah, I'd imagine that's pretty hard. Um, but Tom Savini can do anything. I mean, he shot his own head off in in Maniac. So yeah, he, he's he's a he's a genius. I've got his his special effects uh, book behind me, courtesy of you. But um, yeah, I love the, I love LG's kill. I love the the kill of the yuppies in the beginning. Also, Leatherface, whenever he gets the chainsaw all the way through him, skewer- skewered through his gut, uh, that was an awesome effect. I love the stringy guts hanging out of him. You can see the chainsaw going all the way through him. Uh, I thought that was really cool. I think I would have liked to see the aftermath. I- I'm sure it was cut. I'm sure we got to see more of it. The aftermath of that grenade explosion. I kind of want to see that, a mix of Dennis Hopper's— They never uh, filmed it because of budget. Ah oh, darn! That would have been great—a mix of of Drayton, Leatherface, and uh, and Dennis Hopper's character, just just body parts of them. That would have been hilarious. Um, but yeah, there there is some good gore. Not as much, I think, as your average mid '80s slasher. They were really trying to up the ante. Uh, sometimes not because of the ratings board. I know, like Friday the 13th Part Six got really, really cut down. Um, but, you know, at this point, I feel like movies are trying to get more extreme and and hilarious with the kills. Um, I think maybe this could have benefited from one more, like, real ridiculous kill, but like I said earlier, the one with LG is so long and drawn out, it's really uncomfortable, but kind of, like, oddly, morbidly funny.
1: Oh, yeah, and my favorite is because I am a huge, huge Chop Top fan. Uh, I think Bill Mosley's great. I love... Incoming mail. That's, I think that's my my favorite. But yeah, Tom Savini uh, supervised this. I was watching an interview with him today. He said this was actually his best team and the best time he ever had on a movie. He said that his his proudest uh, uh, you know special effect is the Prowler, but he said his proudest he, the the mo- the best team he ever had was on. Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. he said I you know explained how to do Jackson you brought up the the scene where the chainsaw goes through Leatherface right where where Dennis Hopper's chainsaw goes through him Mm -hmm. and so he he explained to his crew he said okay this is what I think will work this is what you need to do he said I went to the bathroom I came back 15 minutes later they had it done
2: awesome it was done so that's part of why it's it's so sad that these films got cut the way they did. Yeah, because we you know, like Jackson was talking, this film needs another couple kills in it. It had those kills in it and they were Savini effects, but then they got cut. And back then they didn't really hold on to things the way they do now. They have some of those scenes, but they're still not shot very well.
1: Right. And and so, Jay, you remember, I mean, in the 80s, especially in the mid 80s, For whatever reason, Hollywood just didn't have the imagination to say, you know what, we can shoot these scenes and put out an unrated VHS like they do now. They didn't do that back in the 80s, right?
2: Right. That's like Paramount. I mean, all that stuff they cut from the Friday 13th films went into the dumpster. Most of it, you know.
1: Yeah, which is uh, so sad. I just... Last, you know, this, as we're recording this last Friday it was Friday 13th. I went through my shout factory box set of Friday 13th and, and they uncovered some, but so much is lost and it's just so sad. And so much of that is, is a work of art. And I do want it on record. I want this recorded Jackson. If I come into the money, you're going to delay film
0: school for a year to go to Savini's special effects school, right? yep we'll make it happen yep right. definitely that and george romero's cinematography class up there same place it's it's all localized in one campus oh that's, it's all right there by carnegie mellon yeah that's that is my dream for sure wow all right so
1: when i watched the audio commentary today toby hooper went on and on about the production design um and how much it took even with the budget cuts to do the Sawyer family's new layer. We're we're, we're from the house. We're in this abandoned amusement park and this new layer, which by the way, by the way, caught fire during filming. And (laughs) Jay, I really want your comments on this. The first responders didn't know it was a film set. They rush in and see all these bodies and bones. (laughs) What would you think If you were rushing in there To put out a fire Uh,
2: I was a first responder But I wasn't uh, I was a first responder Because I was a police officer Not because I wanted to be I had to go take that class And uh, I could just say that Yeah I mean Yeah that would be terrifying right You show up on the scene And there's (laughs) Arms and legs laying everywhere and there's uh, there's no like rigor mortis or anything where you can tell that oh that's not a real dead body it's you know right
1: yeah because they actually went out the the because the budget was was cut so heavily those are real bones i mean they went to like they went to butcher places they they went to all these places that slaughtered cattle in texas to get real bones and all this other kind of stuff they ordered all these real skeletons from india I can't even imagine what those poor firefighters and police officers thought when they were rushing
2: into that place. I mean,
1: good I lord!
2: They probably thought what was actually happening. They probably thought, "Oh my god, this is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre." <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But so, Jay, what did you think of the new layer compared to the house? What? How did you think it looked? You know, when I was a kid, I, I didn't even realize it was different at first. Uh, you know. Until I got older and I watched it, I was like, oh, this is totally a different setup, but I like it a lot. I mean, I I don't uh, necessarily, I mean, there is no continuity between these films, and it's weird Mm -hmm. as, you know, the films go on, they go back to the house. So that doesn't make any sense either, but, uh, yeah, I like it. I mean, I I think it's a, what was that place called? It was actually a real amusement park, wasn't it the Matterhorn or something like that?
1: The Texas Battle Park or something like that, Mm -hmm. but. Yeah, it was where—and that was, I, I believe, if I remember the special features, yeah, that was a real amusement park. But the interiors were shot in an old newspaper printing office, which had no working air conditioning. It was 120 degrees when they were shooting in there. Uh, the bones smelled. So going back to, like, a production of the first one, it stunk. It was 120 degrees— They said that when they were building the set, all the assistants were completely black. They looked like they were coal miners from getting old newspaper print on them, that it was just a nightmare. And it was so flammable because they didn't have the budget. So they were like using like paper towel rolls and stuff like that. I mean, it was just whatever they could find. Uh, But Jackson, what did you think of that set?
0: Oh, I loved it. The underground cavern, you know, strung with the Christmas lights. I love that look to it. Um, some parts of the new Sawyer Lair kind of reminded me of House of a Thousand Corpses. I'm sure that was a huge influence on that movie. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. It definitely feels like that with the ornate set design. Uh, and when you think about it, you know, uh, with the budget they had, very impressive set work. Um, I'm, I'm sure that it was a nightmare. Like you said earlier, it was it was probably you know a nightmare for these people to make to make this movie. But um, they did a really good job. Uh, I, I'm I'm filming a short film right now, and all I've got is a, is my room. So t- t- transforming a room with what I've got, I'm I'm finding is very difficult. I can only imagine what it was like transforming all these sets into something that looked truly despicable. Um, and I, I just love the look of it. Uh, it, it. It always feels like like dirt is falling from somewhere and getting in people's hair. And I, I, I've been inside of uh, a cave before. Maybe you remember that, Dad? We went to spelunking that one time, or me yep. and my mom did. I'm not sure. But um, I, can, I can just feel that. I can feel the dirt in my hair whenever I'm watching it. It makes me feel very uncomfortable and dry and dirty. And I think that's exactly what they were going for. So awesome set design there absolutely so
1: any other scenes do we want to talk about before we move on to talk about the cast
2: um, yeah the scene with uh with stretch with caroline williams where she's in the ice tub and he's yeah. uh you know got the chainsaw so i i got a chance to go to the 30th anniversary party for this film and got to meet bill johnson and caroline and got to ask some questions
1: oh wow yeah tell spent, us about that that's fantastic
2: i spent most of that time that's why i have a clip of it on a. Uh, on my youtube channel but i just a small clip because i spent the majority of that time gushing over them <laughs> and uh yeah. finally got around to the questions that i wanted to ask and i asked her i said do you uh, and this is goes back to what jackson was just talking about i said do you notice now that you know you guys were shunned for this movie basically when it came out it was banned in some countries up until 2006 mm-hmm. and uh but now people are Taking the same you know basically the same scenes you guys did in this film and redoing them now And of course I was talking about House of a Thousand Corpses Yep And she said uh, oh yeah she's like I she's like you know what Jay They call it homage but that's just a French word for stealing <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's fantastic
2: So and uh, so she went on about that scene though and she said that You know she got a lot of hate mail from feminists and stuff who totally missed the point of this movie and she said it enraged her because in her mind she had portrayed this character who had outstar outsmarted every male character in the film and got to the end by using her only her wiles. She didn't have a weapon really. She just used her own intelligence to outsmart, you know, Leatherface. She used her sexuality and all that stuff. Yep. And uh she felt really betrayed by, you know, some of the fans out there that they took that look on it that she was you know, I, I guess that they, they saw the film as sexist because of all these big, you know, men that are... But there's only one woman in the film, and she doesn't get killed. They kill all the guys. That's a good
1: point. That's a very good point. I Yeah, and I uh, completely agree. I follow her on Instagram, which, by the way, is a not uh, safe for work uh, page, but... um yeah, I, I, I really respect her. And so, Jackson, what about you? What, what other scenes stand
0: out to you, buddy? Well, first of all, I just want to say I love Stretch. Uh, whenever she's the radio host, whenever she's actually – it sounds like she's a real radio host. I can really believe her. I've mm-hmm. heard people on the radio that sound just like that. One of the things that I thought was really funny is when she's playing the tapes of the yuppies being killed by the Sawyers. Uh, She doesn't give any explanation. She's not like, oh, people need to hear this to know that it really happened. She just literally says, this one's for Lefty, and then plays a murder tape live on air, which I find really funny. (laughs) She doesn't elaborate on it. But um, yeah, I thought that that was really funny. Uh, The ice tub scene I think is really funny too. Uh, Leatherface is is very gullible. This is the first time I really felt like Okay, th- this is interesting. We're exploring Leatherface. Um, he's he's kind of got the mind of a child, and that's not it's not looking down on him for that. It's not saying, "Oh, what a freak he is." You kind of feel bad for him. You're like, "Oh, these guys are bad influences on him. His family, are, they're treating him awfully. They're they're using him." Um, so that was interesting um, just I know we're going to get into the casting later but I just got to say it, it, it's a shame that Gunnar Hansen couldn't re, didn't repri- reprise his role I don't know if he had the chance to or what but I, I think Bill Johnson he did does. it was it was a money issue sure yeah uh, I, I still I think Bill Johnson does an, you know an amazing job he's like a different kind of Leatherface, more sympathetic and I, I think that fits this movie really well um, but as far as my favorite scenes go Gotta say, Bubba versus Lefty with the chainsaw fight—that's the original duel. Of the fates, in my opinion, uh, that's just <laughs> awesome. I love, I love Dennis Hopper. He's got the big chainsaw, and then he's got the dual-wielding small chainsaws, which he kind of like—he thrusts back and forth. Uh, that's cool. Um, I I do like their fight. I love how all the time while they're fighting over the table, uh, Drayton's trying to get a grenade ready, and then that goes disastrously as we see. Uh, uh, Leatherface accidentally causes the the whole thing to, to go up. So that that's a good scene. I really love the conclusion, and then of course the ending. Are we moving? Are we talking about the ending now before we move on to casting? Because I think it's just as good. Go right in. Well, maybe maybe just as good. It's got the same feeling as the original. I love that feeling of I've just survived something traumatic. I am completely changed and scarred emotionally uh, because I really don't think that Stretch would be doing that chainsaw dance unless unless she something had snapped in her mind. Um, and I love it. I love her final confrontation with Chop Top and Grandma up there clutching the chainsaw. Uh, I find that really funny. Just just a, a fantastic conclusion to a great movie.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree. And there's a... Oh, man. I'll, next time you're home, Jackson, I'll show you the deleted scenes where there's some wild stuff there. But let's talk about the cast because you brought up Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper was like... 30 or 40 days out of rehab when he did this um and to his credit this was like 1985 when they shot it and um he had been partying hard for for 20 some years um and he stayed clean and sober to the end of his life um he after the premiere because dennis hopper was notorious for having no filter and no ability to market anything, and he called this the worst movie he had ever made. Um, uh, he rescinded it later after making the Super Mario Brothers movie. Oh boy, uh, yeah. Um, uh, Jay, what do you think of Dennis Hopper as lefty?
2: Well, I think it, you know, it's obvious like they had enough money for one star, so they got Dennis Hopper to play mm-hmm. lefty, and I, you know. A lot of guys could have played that part. It's not like it's a super in-depth part. But I think there's something about Dennis Hopper with those steely eyes. You know, just the way he has that squint with those steely eyes that he really felt like a Texas Ranger. I talked to Caroline about this, and the only question I asked was I asked her if she had any fun Dennis Hopper stories she could tell. And she said that actually what you just said, Matt, was that, you know, he wasn't partying hard at that time. Right, And uh, he was a gentleman at all times And even took everybody out to a jazz club Where they had a great uh, evening So, I mean, you know Just to bring this up This doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about But if you guys ever get a chance I have a, a, a conspiracy theory here Go look at pictures of Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson And then look at a picture of Dennis Hopper I think that Oh, I Mrs. see where Wilson going. Wilson go is, is for lying. It. <laughs> <laughs> Wilson says she never met Dennis Hopper, and I think that may be one of the biggest lies in Hollywood. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh,
1: I think but, uh, you may be right. Uh, you know, I I got to Hollywood in '88. I was there from '88 to '91. By that time, Dennis Hopper was clean and sober. Had one of the most interesting reputations of anyone I've ever heard about. I never got to meet the man. I did see him once in a restaurant, but I, didn't, I never talked to him. Um, but I did get to have lunch with David Lynch one time, and, and he said, when I asked him about Dennis Hopper, he just started laughing. Um, and David Lynch basically implied, this is coming from David Lynch, folks, um, that Dennis Hopper was crazy. This is coming from David Lynch. (laughs) Um, So, you know, and he's he was an interesting guy. Um, And one of the things I saw on the audio commentary today, the one of the last days of filming was Dennis Hopper's birthday. Um, So they buy him this huge birthday cake and they set it down. Dennis Hopper disappears. They're looking around. It's like they've all sang happy birthday, but Dennis isn't there. All of a sudden, they hear a roar of a chainsaw. Dennis Hopper comes out with a chainsaw, a real chainsaw, and cuts the cake with a chainsaw. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that is the most Dennis Hopper thing to ever occur. Oh, absolutely. So, Jackson, I, I don't know how, much,
0: how many Dennis Hopper movies you've seen, but what do you think of Mr. Hopper? I love him in this, in this movie. He was in Speed, right? He was the bomber in yes. Speed. Yes. He was good in that Wildcat. Uh, that was a that was a good one. Yeah. Um, he's he's bonkers in this movie. He's not really much of a character. He doesn't have an arc or anything. He he does have one humanizing moment, and that's when he finds the body of his brother in the Sawyer family. When he or I finds guess, Franklin, yeah, which. Let's face Oh, it. was that Franklin? Okay. Oh, that makes that more sense. He's in a wheelchair, Franklin. Yeah, that's
1: Franklin, and I'm not so sure any of us would agree that we're upset that he died.
0: Oh, no, no. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah. He does have that one humanizing moment where he gets this resolve to finally finish it. Um, but other than that, he's just kind of off the wall, spurting one-liners, very Dennis Hopper. <laughs> this is a very Dennis Hopper role. And even though it could have been filled by anybody, uh, I- I'm glad that it was Dennis. Um, I, I just got to say really quick, there are moments where I feel like it, you could definitely tell that a lot of the Dennis Hopper stuff was kind of filmed separate from the rest of it. He doesn't interact with a lot of the characters. Like I hinted at earlier, there's a lot of him just running around cutting support beams. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't interact with singing, with bringing stars. in the sheaves. Yep. yep. But he and does he have
1: he does have my favorite line in the movie, which is, I'm the Lord of the Harvest, <laughs> which and then side
0: responds. Go for yep. it. Yeah uh he says uh what is that some new health food group (laughs) yeah Yeah, i love that um he yeah he's great like i said he doesn't interact with the sawyers or stretch until like the last 10 minutes or even yeah i'd say 10 minutes uh but when he does he delivers that great line and it's amazing um i i I love the way that he dual wields those little chainsaws he's he's awesome uh I kind of wish that we had seen... I'm not sure. I haven't seen uh, Texas Chainsaw 3, Leatherface. I've seen Texas Chainsaw 4 once, unfortunately. I wish I could wipe that from my brain. But as far as I remember, there's no reference to him the rest of the series. I would kind of like to see maybe let's see what's us a prequel to that let's let's see prequel lefty that that would be that would make for a great uh like four-part miniseries or something just him tracking the sawyer killers across the state of texas that would be fun well you're um, the aspiring filmmaker so there you go i guess so as long as i don't get sued i'll, I'll look into making that um but yeah dennis hopper great great uh performance Interesting guy. Glad he he was uh, sober while making this or else this could have been a much worse uh, performance from him. But um, yeah, he's he's very memorable. I will say that much. Absolutely. So then we come to Caroline Williams, a
1: stretch. Jay, I'm very jealous that you've met her. I've never met her. Um, I follow her on Instagram. She seems like a very intelligent and talented person. Talk about Caroline Williams, a stretch.
2: Well, Caroline has been a good friend to me Like, when I first started I was writing for Movie Pilot Horror Which is now gone Mm. But I was getting, building up You know, subscribers I had about 200,000 Wow And I emailed her just on a whim Because I was going to Kansas City They were having this 30th anniversary thing And man, she just, from that point on Kept emailing back and forth with me One of the nicest uh, people I've met in the horror industry, I will say this She is very much an actress And if mm-hmm. you want to take a picture with her It has to be at a certain angle And you know, she's right. very particular About all that, she is an actress But she's a very uh, You know, open person And you know, one of the funny things When I was talking to her about that uh, She said, you know She she referenced the Rob Zombie films And uh, Bill Johnson I don't know if you guys have met him But he's I have not He is so strange because he looks like Orson Welles and has that kind of voice. You wouldn't imagine this guy playing Leatherface. Wow. And while I'm talking, you know, she's talking about Rob Zombie. Bill kind of puts his hand in front of her and goes, oh, by the way, Rob, we love you, you son of a bitch. You work hard. You know, and he's kind of like (laughs) cueing her like, wait a minute. You know, there may be a part for us somewhere down the line. (laughs) Right, right. So I just thought it was, you know, she's very open with fans. She had a lot of discussions with people there about how they could get into the film industry. Uh, There were people there talking about moving to Hollywood, and she told them that's probably not the right thing to do because there's so many people in Hollywood. And there's so much money in independent film that you can go to Austin or, you know, other cities and make good movies without getting lost in the mix in Hollywood.
1: Right. Which, I mean, there are hardly any movies made in Hollywood anymore. It's right. Wilmington's, you know, North Carolina. It's Charleston, South Carolina. It's, you know, outside of Atlanta. I mean, that's where they're making movies now. But, um, yeah, I, and I want to say this. My only comment about Caroline Williams, I think she gives a great performance. And also, like Barbara Crampton, she's barely aged. I oh, yeah. mean, it,
0: it's incredible. So, Jackson, what do you think of Caroline Williams' stretch? Oh, I love stretch. Um, yeah, I, she's involved in, in some of the funniest scenes in the movie. I think she, her, her strength is how she interacts with the crazier characters of it, uh, where she kind of matches that craziness with a frantic attitude. Uh, she's got that frantic energy to her, which I really like my favorite scene. I've, I've failed to mention this, of course, the chop top tour scene of, of radio land. Yeah. That is a classic scene. I love her interactions with, uh, with chop top, especially, uh, Rubberman, and then Chop Top's like, oh, Rubberman, I like him. Uh, I love that, that interaction between them. And then finally, uh, one of my favorite parts in the entire movie is, "Good night," And then, you know, saying night, trying to imply, you know, get out of here. But, but Chop Top just doesn't quite get it. Um, yeah, she, she's great. And of course, I alluded to this earlier, the ending with her doing uh, Leatherface's chainsaw dance. That's great. That that's a great twist on the original. Um, and I, I think she does a good job. Now, not having read the script, I'm not sure how much material she was given. Uh there's never a, like a line that she says that's a standout as something like that Drayton would say or or Dennis Hopper's character Lefty would say. But with what she's given, I think she does a really good job. Absolutely. And so yeah, I love her in it. Um I had a crush on her
1: when I was fifteen when I saw this. Um Bill Friggin Mosley um, as Chop Top. I think he steals this. Tom Savini in the extras talks about how he was the life of the party on Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, that everybody looked to Bill. And what I don't, what I think people don't understand about Bill Mosley, he was a Yale graduate from a prominent Chicago family. He was a high profile journalist when he was cast in this. I mean, he was writing for like the New York Times and and Vanity Fair and all that other kind of stuff. Um and he shows up as as Chop Top and he gets cast after doing a short film just as a love letter to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He tells the stories like I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre in like 1975. In a really bad part of Boston, I was there working as a journalist after graduating from Yale, and I go into this crappy cinema where you, you know, you you stick to the floor, and and I watch this movie as part of a double bill with Enter the Dragon, and I, I fell in love with it. So I do this short film called The Texas Chainsaw Manicure, um, where he plays the hitchhiker. And it got to Toby Hooper, and Toby Hooper called him and said that he was so impressed with his um, performance as the hitchhiker that if he ever did a sequel, he would cast him in it. And two years later, Toby Hooper calls him and says, You're cast, we're doing this, go. Um, Jay,
2: Bill Mosley, man. I love Bill Mosley. I mean, the, you know what I hate? Is when I see Bill Mosley play like the dad or something. Though I saw him in a <laughs> film here a while back called Boar with a uh, yes. John Jarrett over in Australia, where they were. And I was like, man, he's just so miscast as the dad because you just uh. you just want to see him get crazy. You know, that's <laughs> what you always want to see. With I Otis.
1: I hate that movie because the bad CGI and because he's miscast. I agree.
2: Yeah, but you know, then he he goes on to do Otis in uh, House of a Thousand Corpses, which kind of feels like he's channeling Chop Top uh, in a way, but someone who can speak a lot better than Chop Top ever could. And uh, yeah, I just I love the guy. I think without him, this is not nearly as fun as it is.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Jackson, Bill Moseley. Uh, he's awesome. Um, and, and this is my favorite. I love Otis, but this is my favorite performance. I've seen him uh, and. Uh, and funny that he played the hitchhiker in, in that short film, and then he was cast as the hitchhiker's brother, twin brother, maybe, I'm not sure. Twin uh, brother, the way yeah. The, the way that the makeup is done, they do look very similar, if you look at the screenshots in the first one and this one, their teeth are a lot, are a lot similar, and you see the hitchhiker, his corpse in this movie, uh, uh, hit, Chop Top is dragging it around, well, which is pretty odd but you know whatever um he's great i I love all his little it's like it's really easy to miss a lot of the things that chop top are saying if you don't have subtitles on because a lot of it's kind of under his breath It, it it sort of sounds like beavis from beavis and butthead um where a lot of it's just kind of muttering and murmuring. But there's a lot of really great stuff. And I'm sure there was some improvisation on Bill Moseley's part. This, it couldn't have all been in the script because there's a lot of off the wall stuff. Well,
1: actually, it, um, Toby Hooper says it was like Dog Will Hunt
0: and all that kind of stuff. He, he says that was Kit Carson. Uh, well, then I've got to get my hands on that script. I've got to read, because I think that would be great to see a full transcription of everything that Chop Top says, because a lot of it just flies right past you. Um, like in that scene I mentioned earlier where he's being given the tour, while Stretch is talking, he's just, he's just freestyling in the background. Oh, yeah, this and this, this, and I, I love that. i, I got to read that, but um, yeah, he's great. And if that is all in the script... Kudos to him because he makes it feel really real and he is creepy. He can be funny, but especially in that last scene where he's slicing away, at stretches back. He's creepy. He, he is really creepy. You're like, Oh, creep, get away. Uh, that is the, the one time
1: when I remember watching this for the first time, when I was completely creeped out when he's taking that straight razor yep. and he's going after stretch. I was like, Oh, Oh, yep. that, 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 that. So, did, so Jay, did the lack of Gunner Hansen bother you
2: it in this bo- It bothered me because of the fact that Gunnar is an icon, and I would always, you know, just, I love all these franchises, and I love all the films in them, even the bad ones, but I love continuity. I think that's what a lot of people love about Night on Elm Street up until the Jackie Earl Haley film. Right. Uh, but yeah i you know I understand why it didn't happen. You know apparently, they insulted him. They offered him you know scale plus ten percent, and the ten percent was for his agent. And then when he told him he didn't have an agent, they retracted the ten percent. So it almost felt yeah. like they they just offered it to him so they could tell fans that they offered it to him. They had no intention of casting him
1: yeah and, and it's such a shame because the guys put so much into that role. Cause I'm sure he made peanuts for the original and he actually went to like a home for those who were emotionally ill, mentally ill, watch them, mimic them. He put a lot into that role,
2: right? Jay. Yeah. It's, you know, he tried to come back or they talked to him, I guess about part three also. And, um, that on that one, all he wanted was to be able to film a behind the scenes documentary of what was going on. And he would, forego any extra payment besides scale and they still refused him so i don't know they Uh, they i've heard stories that he was a little hard to deal with and he went back and forth and because he didn't have an agent he was trying to negotiate his own thing and they didn't appreciate that
1: ah that's a shame jackson what about you lack of gunner Hansen.
0: I love Gunnar Hansen's performance in the first one. He definitely feels a lot more intimidating, and and Leatherface that is, in the first one. He's like this unstoppable killing machine. When he's chasing uh, the characters through like the weeds, and he's just trudging right through them with with the chainsaw, he he's like a tank. He he's terrifying. Um, I would have liked this initially if I were just looking at this. Now, say say I was uh, I was around back in 1985, and I was oh Texas Chainsaw 2 is happening. Well, there's got to get Gunnar Hansen. The thing is, Bill Johnson does such a great job in this role. I love sympathetic and kind of like. Well, well-meaning Leatherface who can get serious. I, I do like that. He's a bit more manic, a lot more exaggerated. He's kind of a caricature of what Gunnar Hansen was in the first film. Um, I think Gunnar Hansen had a little bit more depth to the character. He was a little bit more mysterious. There, there was a little bit more mystique to him. Whereas in this one, it's kind of like, oh, he's just kind of he's got some mental illness, and he you kind of feel bad for him because he's running with the wrong crowd. Um yeah, so it would have been interesting to see Gunnar Hansen in this role, uh, but I don't think I want to live in a world without Bill Johnson also doing the role as well. So, um, you know, win-win either way. <laughs> if, if they had gotten Gunnar Hansen to do it, that would have been good, but I'm, I'm happy with what we got. Yeah. So let's talk about
1: Jim Seidaw as Sawyer Drayton the cook, who returns from the original movie. Uh, Jay,
2: Jim Seidel is the cook. What do you think? Well, uh, you know, I would have to agree with like what Jackson was talking about with Bill Moseley. I, it's hard to imagine that this wasn't heavily improv, right? Because just the way Mm -hmm. they say things, the way they're delivered. And he does kind of the same thing that Bill does in the movie where sometimes he says things under his breath or he'll say something. And you're like, he's talking to himself right now. He's making total sense to himself right now. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Yeah. I mean, he, he totally, the one thing about the, the sequel or part two that does maintain continuity is his character. And he is pretty much the same as he was in the first film. It's just a little bit more comedy mixed in. I think I love you guys were talking about your favorite lines. I think one of my favorite lines is when (laughs) he pulls the uh, fingernail out of the chili and says, Oh, them hard pepper, peppercorns. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Oh. But uh, yeah, I enjoy his his work in this a lot. It's, you know, I have never seen him in anything else. So um, I would love to, though. He was, uh, well, they were talking about him today, and I looked it up.
1: He was a trained theater actor. And, you know, he had worked in radio. He had served in World War II. He was a decorated vet. Um, and after he got out of World War II, he did a lot of radio in Chicago. And then he did a bunch of theater in Houston. I mean, he liked and he was a serious theater actor and director. He directed Who's Afraid of a Junior Wolf in Houston? I mean, he was he was that kind of guy. So Jackson, Jim
0: Sidow, what do you think? I think he's fantastic in both the first movie and this one. In this one, definitely he is he is more comedic. I feel like in the first one, he was more uh intimidating he was he was creepier because he had that sweaty face and the thousand yard stare it didn't look like he was all there but when he was fully conscious he was real creepy and and he had malice in his eyes whereas in this one he's a little bit it's it becomes drayton comedy hour right it becomes a cook comedy hour at some points like when he's underneath the table while uh while lefty and bubba are fighting it, Talking it, it, about
1: how the small businessman
0: always takes right. it in the butt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. After he's been chainsawed in the butt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it, it kind of becomes a cook comedy hour, which I don't mind because it's funny. Um, I, I do. Yeah. It, he's great in both. His character is very much the same. Just it's, it's almost like he hasn't changed. The perspective has just changed. Whereas in the first movie you were seeing it from the perspective of Sally, and he's this creep who's abducted her. And this one, we're kind of just viewing it as more objective, because even the good guys, like Lefty, are out of their gourd. So everyone's crazy, so why shouldn't he just be seen as another one of the characters? And he's funny. But um, yeah, he definitely very much more of the same, but also leagues different, which I find really interesting. I haven't seen him in anything else other than the Texas Chainsaw um, series i would love to see if there's any archive of him being a theater actor that would be really fun seeing him in a totally different role um because i can't imagine him as anything else other than doing that accent and 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 delivering those lines yeah Um, he
1: was he was a pro i mean he was just a he was actually a really serious theater actor but um you brought up 74 versus 86 but actually uh, toby hooper said he told him to play it as a comedy Mm-hmm. In the original, you
0: know? right, right, and yeah. that's
1: wh- that's where he went, and so, but yeah, the guy did like serious theater. I mean, he did you know Death of a Salesman and stuff like that. That's the kind mm-hmm. of stuff he did in Houston. So,
0: oh, I would love to see uh, the cook delivering Macbeth tomorrow, to, and tomorrow, <laughs> and tomorrow's soliloquy. Let's get that. Uh, that uh, with all the deep fake technology, I'm sure we can make that happen. These days, but yeah, that I, I respect them. I totally respect them. And that's one of my favorite things in horror films is when a horror film, low budget uh, horror film gets these working actors, these theater actors that are really, really good. They just haven't broken through and they find that perfect role for them where it just fits like a glove. And I think that the cook definitely fits uh, him at, like a glove. I mean, he, he is that role. Yeah, absolutely. Can, can go we go for it, take- is it-
2: Take a second here, guys, and we have to talk about the fact that uh, Drayton Sawyer has a car phone in 1986 (laughs) in his barbecue (laughs) van. This is something I'd only seen like Elvis have up until that point.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and well, there's a deleted scene uh, where Chop Top is talking about that and talking about that. Hey, look, you know, you have this fancy, you know, van and you've got this car phone because of me, because. He had disability. He was a Vietnam vet. That's right. how he got the the metal plate. And he was complaining to the cook that, you know, you always criticize me, but I'm the one who brings money into this family. I'm the one who does this. And, and so that's where it came from in the deleted scenes. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Um so let's talk about before we wrap up the cinematography, the editing, all that kind of stuff. Obviously, you know the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre was was shot for like five bucks, um, four point five million. That's a lot today. That's a Blumhouse movie today. They you know Jordan Peele shot Get Out on on less than four point five million, but the technology has changed. It looks better. Uh, but the editing was out of Toby Hooper's hands. Uh, Golan and Globus took it out of his hands and and kind of re-edited a lot of stuff, and they cut Joe Bob Briggs scene and all that other kind of stuff. So, yeah, Jay, does it look good to you? Does the
2: movie hold up that way, or do you? What do you think? You know, honestly, I don't really think about it in those terms because it it doesn't. You know give us a lot there I, You know the original When I first saw the original like on a video That Mm -hmm. videotape my dad had That had been you know rewatched A hundred times or something it was all blurry And uh, the tracking was all Messed up you know I saw that and I thought Man this looks terrible now 10 or 15 years later whenever You know I got a little older and watched it I was like This is beautiful this cinematography In this Mm -hmm. film is beautiful There's no attempt at that in part 2 It's just you know straight going straight for the uh, gut with the horror and the gore and stuff. They don't really seem to care that much. The atmosphere actually seems a lot darker too, right? Because a lot of these scenes take place at night instead of during the daytime. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he thought he could get it. Toby Hooper
1: said in the audio commentary, he thought he could get away with it because you had the Friday 13th. By that time, you had the nightmare in Elm Street. You had the Halloween's. He thought he was paranoid with the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre that, oh, there's no way anybody's ever going to see this. It's going to have an X rating. But by part two, he thought, oh, we've had all these violent movies. We've had Maniac. We've had all that kind of stuff. I can get away with this. And then they slapped him with an X rating anyway. <laughs> and they had to release it unrated. Um, Jackson, what did you think as the aspiring filmmaker about uh, the technical aspects here?
0: I think that the editing and cinematography are all they're serviceable they're very much at their time but i i, I kind of like the style it's shot more like a comedy it's edited more like a comedy um whereas the original texas chainsaw massacre was like uh more plotting i guess more atmospheric slower paced um this one is just like it gives you everything you want to see and a lot of that i mean we talked about this it's cut up way cut up um Maybe if, if Hooper had, had his way, it would be more plotting and, and, and more of a slow burn. But as is, this is just relentless, fun, action, entertaining. Everything on the screen that you're seeing is entertaining. Um, I know this comparison has been made several times uh, by me already, but it's very Rob Zombie-esque. You can definitely see where his influences were. Um, it, maybe it's a little Doesn't bit it, more reserved. Does it
1: surprise you that Rob Zombie said he,
0: he has said publicly, I'm not sure I believe
1: him, that he doesn't like this movie?
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, that doesn't surprise me because he said something. I was listening to the Eli Roth History of Horror, the most recent one, and he said he doesn't like putting comedy into horror or something like that. And I was like, Rob, what do you talking You've seen House of a Thousand Corpses, right? You've got Fishboy, really? <laughs> um, so I don't know what he's talking about. I can de- I, Knowing uh, what he said in the past, I can definitely understand that. I think he either prefers the more chilling classic style of horror or a more serious take but his movies don't really reflect that i you this this had to have influenced him at least subconsciously because i mean it house of a thousand corpses is definitely closer in tone to this than the original texas chainsaw um and and especially when you add bill mosley into the equation uh it is a little bit more reserved than rob zombie movie it's not quite shot like a music video but I think it's got the same general vibe. If anything, it reminds me a little bit of Devil's Rejects mixed with the carnival amusement park style of House of a Thousand Corpses. Um, so I, I like the way it's shot. I like the way it's edited. Nothing that's going to blow your mind, but it's also never distracting. Okay. Jay, are, are you a Rob Zombie
1: fan? And if so, do you buy his statement that he hates this movie and there's no
2: influence on it whatsoever? I like Rob Zombie's music i'm not you know i i crowdfunded i got in on the crowd crowdfunding thing with 31 mm-hmm. and that was a big mistake because it, you got it screwed did ended, yeah everybody did pretty much yeah. and it took uh you know two years longer for it to come out than it was supposed to and then by that time they claimed they didn't have you know addresses for people that had bought things for the project and things like that but uh you know, also, every time I've heard him talk, he's kind of a jerk. I mean, he, he's kind of a jerk about stuff. And, you know, like, I don't believe that at all. If he's trying to tell us that he, every single one of his movies, all the way up to uh, even, what's the Witches of Salem or Lords of Salem? Lords of Salem, yeah. Even that's a throwback to, like, you know, satanic panic films. He, he constantly takes other filmmakers' ideas and puts them on display. Now, all filmmakers do that, right? Carpenter did it with... Hitchcock and they all yep. do that, but I think he kind of does it shamelessly to some points where it's almost, it almost looks like the exact same scene sometimes, and uh, for him to then come back and say he didn't like Texas Chainsaw 2, well, you sure watched it a bunch, buddy.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree, and and famously, and I like his music too. Jackson, I have seen him in concert, but I mean, it, John Carpenter has gone on record as saying that he's a liar. Uh, John Carpenter said. You know, that Rob Zombie gave an interview about doing Halloween. And he said, well, John Carpenter was very cold and very distant about it and very hostile. And John said, no, I wasn't. You know, that's 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 just not true. You know, I told him, go for it. And what, you know, do you want any help? Do you want any recommendations? He said, I was trying to help the guy. And then, you know, the movie comes out and he comes, turns around and says, I was very cold and distant. I said, And so, yeah. Unfortunately, I, I I agree with you. I I like his music, and I do like some of his movies, but uh, I'm not sure
0: he's the most honest guy in the world. And uh, all you got to all you got to watch to know about Rob Zombie's personality is his MTV Cribs uh, video, in, in which he's like, "Yeah, it's my house. It's cool, or whatever. Get out." And it's like, "Okay, Rob. <laughs> all right. Yeah. yeah, he is. He is definitely a very." He he's trying to be a Han Solo type, right? Where he he's just like, doesn't care about anything. He's yeah. a
2: diva in a cowboy hat with a long <laughs> beard. Those things don't make sense. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Uh, I I agree. I I like a lot of his movies. I like his music. I'm not sure I'd ever want to have coffee with the guy. Um, so, this actually, this movie actually lost money on its initial run. It was a, ended up being a 4.5 million dollar budget. It made eight million, but back in those days, the marketing budget was, was at least as much as the production budget, which means it cost Canon films nine million. It made eight. Yet, it became a huge hit on home video. Um, Toby Hooper said it was double platinum in sales, which means it sold hundreds of thousands of copies on home video. Um so you know this is a movie guys I, I'm definitely recommending you check out. What else do we want to talk about, Jay? Anything else you want to talk about before we go to our ratings and recommendations here?
2: The only other thing I would throw in there is I don't I don't know if you've seen this or not, but uh Toby's son attempted to make a prequel to this film. Oh, it's wow. called All American Massacre. They have a trailer for it online somewhere probably on YouTube. Uh, It did not come out great and he could not get the funding that he wanted to. Mm -hmm. One thing I will say is uh, like the makeup and stuff that you see in the trailer or what they actually got to shoot Mm -hmm. looks pretty good. And it looks, uh, you know, just I don't know if it's this is one part that aggravates me about it is that I don't know if Bill was playing chop top in this short film that he did to try to make a bigger film. But it looks like him. If it wasn't him then the the makeup was like spot-on you know because they brought chop-chop back and it was telling the story of him and his uh, twin that you know died the hitchhiker or whatever Wow. and uh so it, it showed that they had him locked up now kind of similar to like a uh, three from hell situation you know and he was telling this story about what him and his brother had done before all this so it was a prequel to that and um uh, Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, like, I wish they could have got the funding to finish that. And also, I like the fact that it, you know, was being done by Toby's son. But, yeah, there you go. All right, Jax, anything else you want to throw in there before we
1: go to our ratings and recommendations?
0: Yeah, I've just got two things. First of all, we usually talk about the soundtrack Uh, with this movie. I feel like the the soundtrack choices, as in the the songs they choose to put in the movie, I I, I kind of like them. Uh, so the first one that we see with the with the yuppies driving through, uh, very much of its time. But I think mostly, you know, the the classic rock and even the reference to uh, Iron Butterfly that was a lot of fun. Um, so good good soundtrack. I, original soundtrack, I didn't notice it at all. But but the the actual song choices were good. And then I've just got one quote written down that really tickled me when I was watching this. Um, I was watching it with subtitles on for the very reason of trying to understand all the little mutters in, in a Texan accent that I couldn't quite catch. Um, but my favorite line from Drayton that we didn't mention was S-C-E-X, sex, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> uh, looks like the cook failed out of elementary school, but, you know, who can blame him? He's, he's a killer chili cook, though. Yes, he is.
1: Yes, he is. So. All right, guys, so ratings and recommendations. If we were doing this on a IMDb or an HMP um, scale of one to ten, where would you put this? Jay,
2: you're the guest. What would you rate this? Well, if I'm looking at it subjectively, if I'm looking at how much I like it, it's like an eight out of ten. It's one of my favorite sequels. Mm. This and Psycho 2 are probably my favorite uh, go to sequels to watch. And so, but you know, objectively knowing that everyone's not going to love it the way I did, they're not going to have the the backstory with it the way I did. I would say six out of ten. Give it a chance. If if you like House of a Thousand Corpses, if you like those types of films, this is going to be right up your alley. I agree, Jackson. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I'm going eight out of ten. I'm staying. I'm sticking with it. Eight out of ten. I think any horror fan can at least appreciate this on one viewing. Um, I won't, if you like the first one, you're not automatically gonna like this one, especially if you like the first one for its gritty tone and it's kind of like true crime sort of vibe. Um, so I would say eight out of the 10, if you've never seen it before, and if it sounds kind of strange, you don't like mixing your comedy with your horror, I know there are people who don't like that. Jay of the Dead is one of them. Yep. Um, I would say it's a rental. You should you should rent it. But I mean, it's free on some places. So why why not just just check it? Out? I know it's on Prime. Um, I have it on DVD. I found it uh, for a, on a DVD, 99 cents at Goodwill with special features. So um, it's it's very affordable. I would recommend that you see it. And if you like it, go ahead and own it. Because I'm sure you'll see it at some point in the future.
1: Yeah, I. You know, the opening scroll bothers me. There are a few things that bother me. Golan and Globus, you know, putting their dirty pits into it and, and, and just, you know, mucking up. The editing bothers me. But I'm still, I'm right. I'm in between you guys. I'm a 7.5. <clears throat> I, I say definitely check it out. It is on Amazon Prime. I do own it, though because there are parts of this movie that I absolutely love. So I, I definitely say check it out. So, folks, we appreciate you. We appreciate our Patreon supporters, and you can become one for as little as $2.50 a month and choose content, have access to bonus episodes, and even beyond the show. Now, more importantly, Jay, tell the good folks where they can find your awesome stuff.
2: Uh, we are on J versus Horror on YouTube. We also have a Facebook group with twenty six thousand members, so you can mm-hmm. come and join us on on Facebook and check stuff out. We have currently stuff like Tales from the Crypt, Friday the Thirteenth, the series, uh, Ray Bradbury theory. anything that we can put up legally, that they will send the uh, ad money on to the copyright holder. We'll put that up, and uh, you know, as long as long as it's legal, that's. The main goal at J versus Horror yeah. We want to keep it legal and uh, So we also do reviews and top tens And we have, starting next week We're doing season 2 of The Horror Hound Showdown is, Which is where we have uh, different horror fans Podcasters, group runners come on And uh, well, the way we did it The last time was it was a tournament thing And we had you know, all these guys Go against each other and then people voted And, and so that got like really Wacky Towards the end, because you know we started <laughs> having people uh, drop out, and people were like, "I got four votes," and I'm like, "Well, that's I'm sorry, you know." <laughs> and uh, so, what we're gonna do this time?
0: No <laughs> competition terrifying.
2: this time. It's just we're gonna have a guest come on. I'll do a top ten list, my top ten against their top ten, and nobody has to vote. <laughs> so we're we're gonna do eight episodes for season two, and then we'll move on to whatever crazy thing I can think of after that.
1: That's awesome. I cannot recommend Jay stuff enough. I'm part of that Facebook, um, uh, group and I, I follow all of his stuff. It was big bill who, you know, this is episode like 66 and bill was on like episode like 11 or something like that, Jackson. Um, he's been on forever. He's been on four or five times. And he's the one who turned me on to you. Love your stuff. Everybody needs to check it out. It's fantastic. You're doing great stuff over there, buddy. Keep it up. Thank you. And so, all righty, Jackson, um, where can they find you online, buddy?
0: Yeah. You can check me out on Twitter at Kane underscore hero 12. uh, And on Letterbox at Kane heroes, one word. Uh, Also check out father and so much horror movies on YouTube, uh, where I occasionally post YouTube videos uh, I don't I don't know how frequently I'll upload to that channel, but if when I put them on there, there, there's a lot of work that goes into them. So you can check those out if you want for more horror content, because I know that's what we're all looking for in these times. Um, and yeah, definitely check out our favorite podcast we've mentioned. Um, of course, check out Jay's social media, but also Land of the Creeps. You know, check out all of our horror movie podcasts um, and just support horror movie podcasters during this time and horror fans in general.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's ironic that actually it's been kind of weird that during the pandemic a lot of uh podcast subscriptions have actually gone down uh because people aren't driving as much and mm-hmm. uh, are going to the gym as much uh ours have gone up, which we thank you guys for and we we appreciate. But um yeah, absolutely. It, it, you know, you're listening to this, you're obviously a horror movie fan and so horror movie podcast land of the creeps retro movie geek terror on the tube uh gilman joel who was on a couple of episodes ago his werewolf podcast you definitely need to check out uh nathan barterball's phantom galaxy is fantastic he's been a guest on here and uh, we've been a guest on his show but yeah jay versus horror stuff it's all solid folks definitely check out jay's stuff And you can find more of our stuff at fatherandsonwatchhorror.com. We have a Twitter account, uh, Manned by Jackson. We have a closed Facebook group, and we have an Instagram page. So I'm on Twitter and Letterboxed as Pastor Matt R. And so lots of stuff out there for you to check out. So Jackson, anything
0: else, buddy? Oh, that's. I think that's about it just uh, thank you for listening to us rant on about Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 I know there are better things you could be doing with your time but, no, but uh, we're glad you decided to join us alright
1: Jay thank you for being on buddy we appreciate it it was great Jackson say goodbye to the good people goodbye and remember don't skimp on the meat and dog will hunt. So, thanks for listening. Remember, the family that watches horror together slays together. See you next time.